Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. And here we go, kicking off hour number three of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Demond Cotton, your boy Q. Going now out to the scene. Like, we're taking you right into the into the hornet's nest. We're getting taking you in the lion's den right now. We're welcoming in Sam Gordon from the RJ, the Review Journal. And Sam, thanks so much for your time. It was great to have you on earlier this week talking DJ Thomas. And then we started talking a little Haney and Loma. And uh, right now, that's where you're at. You're actually at the weigh-ins. Kind of give us the, the scene. Let us know what's going on there. Yeah, Q, first and foremost, happy Friday. Glad we uh, get the opportunity to talk again. Uh, it's a nice crowd here, Q. Nice crowd forming at MGM Grand Garden. Weigh-ins are getting underway. Uh, the ceremonial weigh-ins for Vasily Lomachenko, Devin Haney, undisputed lightweight championship on Saturday. Uh, and the buzz is built. It, it, look, it's been a slow build throughout the course of the week, but it is building. Uh, you definitely have the big fight atmosphere that has developed throughout the course of the week. And on Saturday... Uh, Devin Haney, who lives right here in Las Vegas, has the opportunity to defend his undisputed championship against Vasily Lomachenko, the former three-division champion, looking for probably the final uh, opportunity that he's going to have for the undisputed title. So it's a big fight, uh, a big event, and, and you're definitely starting to feel that here uh, today at the weigh-in. And probably you know, in between maybe 750 and 1,000 people, I would say, uh, at the Grand Garden and just kind of milling around uh, outside. Weigh-in's getting underway. Uh, we do want to mention, Q, both guys weighed in this morning. This is the ceremonial way, and both guys weighed in this morning okay. and made way. So the lightweight title fight is good to go. Uh, but nonetheless, a fun way to get, to get the, uh, the weekend started and to really ingratiate some of the fans that are here that, that love boxing and want to see a great fight on Saturday night. Is there any storyline that we should know going into this fight? Like, is there any trash talk or some beef going on between the two? Well, yeah. These, look, Devin Haney has been calling for this fight for four years. He won the WBC title uh, in 2019. There was some controversy with Celia Lomachenko was uh, appointed the WBC franchise champion. It was a whole thing, basically, so he could avoid mandatories and, and, and fight other fights. Uh, and as a result, Devin Haney was the WBC champion, the more conventional champion. So he's been calling for four years for this fight. Vasily Lomachenko, of course, then in 2019, the unified uh, lightweight championship. He had two of the four belts. Devin Haney uh, had the third, and, and who Lomachenko elected to fight was the man who had the fourth, Tiafimo Lopez. Of course, Lomachenko loses that night. Devin Haney goes on to beat George Cambosis, who, who beat Lomachenko, for, uh, who, who beat Teofimo Lopez for the other three belts. Lo and behold, he becomes the undisputed champion. He has the keys to the division. And the third and final fight on his top-ranked deal was the one against Lomachenko. So this has been developing for quite some time. And you know, then, right, Q, four years ago, Lomachenko was the man. He was the mm-hmm. pound-for-pound top fighter, the man in the lightweight division. He didn't have to give Devin Haney that fight. Well, Devin Haney gave him that fight, again, the, the third and final fight on his top-ranked deal. Uh, so it's, it's two different styles, both boxers, both technicians, but they do it differently. Devin Haney, the longer, uh, the taller fighter, uses his jab. He's going to be stronger in there. He's naturally bigger, uh, physical, uh, and, and, and really great at controlling distance with his jab uh, and build, that he uses to, to build offense and defense. Vasily Lomachenko, a little different, different kind of foot speed. Likes to attack from different angles. He's a southpaw. He's a lefty. He likes to work on the inside. So it's a great clash of styles. Uh, it's, it's two great fighters, two of the best uh, in the game today. 
and both very, very technical. I would not expect to see a knockout. The over uh, for the totals at 11 and a half and the over, I believe, was minus 500 as of this morning. So you're not expecting a knockout per se, but it's two technical specialists that go back a long time. Uh, and, and we see if, is, is Devin Haney, you know, ready to take that next step and, and emerge into superstardom with this title defense? Or does the old guard, does, does Vasily Lomachenko, he'll, 11 years Devin Haney senior, still have enough uh, to, to hold off uh, Haney and win the, uh, the undisputed championship? That's what we're going to find out tomorrow. Again, we're talking with Sam Gordon. He's on site right now at the ceremonial weigh-ins for Haney and Loma. We're talking to him here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. DeMond's got one for you. I was watching a sit-down face-to-face with the two guys that are going to be fighting this weekend. And Devin Haney, he was talking to Lomachenko, and he said, you're going to be looking to punch on the break. And Loma just kept saying, how do you know that? How do you know? And he's like, I've been (laughs) watching you. But he knows he's going to try to punch him on the break. And my only question about that is, it's not technically dirty. Why was he saying it like uh, that's some big, like maybe like underhand tactic that he's going to be trying to do in the fight? As a first and foremost, Demond, that's an excellent question. It's because Devin Haney clinches a lot. That's part of his game plan, right? Jab, jab, get in there and clinch, go back and rinse and repeat. You go back and watch the two fights against George Cambosis, and by the way, clinical surgical performances. Uh, but that's what he did. He, he worked off his jab. He was physical whenever ever George Cambosis wanted to get inside and used the clinch to his advantage. And uh, used the jab pretty much to control the distance and the range in both those fights. Lomachenko is more savvy than Cambosis. He's more technical. He's got more tricks and feints and ways to get inside. He applies more, I think, a more measured pressure. And again, he is a monster when he gets inside. So uh, fighting out of the clinch is something Lomachenko wants to do, uh, and it's not something Devin Haney wants to be a part of. So I think it's it's just it's gamesmanship. You know, both men gamesmanship trying to trying to you know get narratives in the head of the referee. Uh, on Saturday, so it, it, I don't look. I've never found Lomachenko to be a dirty fighter by any means, but but if Devin that Devin Haney is, is trying to uh, you know set himself up on Saturday to do what he wants to do, it's going to be interesting. A huge storyline, I think, to look for how much clinching is the referee going to allow? If he doesn't allow any or, or hardly at all, or if he limits the holding. That's a massive advantage for Lomachenko. And I've got to ask, you mentioned about the weight and Devin Haney being the bigger fighter. Do we expect what Devin Haney's going to rehydrate around to when the fight actually takes place? Yeah, I would imagine, Demond, that he's going to come in the ring, you know, between 145 and 150 pounds, right? And I'm, I'm being conservative here. He's, a, he's the longer, he's the taller fighter. He's 5'8", five, 5'9", five, while Lomachenko's 5'7", and he's got a 6-inch edge in reach, too. So he's got a lot bigger frame to fill out. Let's not forget Lomachenko. You could argue that his best weight class, where he was at his best, was 130, not a natural 135-pounder the way Devin Haney is. And Devin Haney's growing, right? There's possibility... We'll see what happens tomorrow night, but could he vacate his titles if he were to defend them and move up to 140? That's very much a possibility. It's, it's been uh, discussed in the past, and it's certainly something to watch for, win or lose tomorrow night. But, yes, he's going to have the size advantage. He's going to be bigger. He's going to be taller. He's going to be longer, and he's going to be stronger. Can he use his size to his advantage uh, tomorrow night? I expect Lomachenko to come in somewhere you know, between 135 and 140 pounds. He's not... Not a super big guy naturally, whereas Haney, I think, has the frame to one day, uh, you know, be a welterweight at the very least, and we'll see from there. Uh, so can he use it to his advantage? That's what we're going to find out. And when it comes to making stars in boxing, we know that pay-per-view numbers are one of the key indicating factors. And Tank Davis, he's already said he's got his eye on it. He knows that he wants those titles, but he wants to see how big of a draw can Devin Haney be if he wins. What do you think would be a good number of buys where say, hey, this was a success? Maybe not over a million, but this is good for these two fighters in the stage that they're at. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I think it's worth recognizing this is a $60 pay-per-view as opposed to $85. So a little bit more of an affordable price point. I think that's you know top rank recognizing the market for the fight. These guys don't quite have the same star power as Cervante Davis and Vasily Lomachenko. Um, so, and, and the price point reflects that. That being said, uh, again, still a huge star-making opportunity. Devin Haney's first pay-per-view uh, and a big opportunity for him to make a statement. I think, I, you know, personally, I think anything between 150 and 2 would, would be pretty solid. Uh, I, I think and anything north of that would, would, I think, would have to be considered a success. So, yes, that, that number definitely is a, uh, a kind of metric to gauge the popularity of a fighter or whatnot. And I think, back to your point, Damon, it's worth noting in terms of what, you know, what's going to happen next. Devin Haney is a promotional and broadcast free agent after the fight. It was a three-fight deal with top rank, the first two being the, the fights against George Cambosis that got him uh, the, the undisputed 135-pound championship and then the, the title defense. This was the third one. So he's going to be a free agent after the optional re-sign with top rank. Of course, he's deep at 135 and 140 pounds. There's, of course, PBC, and there's Matchroom as well, which he had previously worked with before signing with top rank. So there's, that adds a layer of intrigue. Uh, also, and, and when it comes to you know negotiating, the negotiating power that you have at the table for a prospective fight with Tank, the better the numbers that this fight does, uh, the, the better the opportunity for whoever wins to, to get a, a bigger share of revenue when that if that fight were to emerge. When it comes to Devin being a free agent after this, when it comes to the actual broadcast rights of who airs the fights, who do you think has that advantage, whether it be DAZN or Showtime or the relationship that Top Rank has with ESPN? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. I think it all just kind of depends on how tomorrow night goes. If, if Devin Haney defends his undisputed championship, uh, a fight with Gervonta Davis, uh, you know, for all four belts with Gervonta Davis' star power, with Devin, Haney, with Devin Haney having four belts, now he would have to go over to PBC and Showtime to make that move. But that, that right there would be the biggest fight in the, in the lightweight division. I think you would have to imagine one of the bigger fights uh, of the modern era when you talk about what both guys – bring to the table of course that is contingent upon Devin Haney winning if if he loses then you have all kind of options I think top rank is deep at 140 you look at Matchroom again who, who Devin Haney I previously worked with they just added Regis Progre to their sta- stable at 140 Jack Catterall uh, and Andy Cruz at 135 the Olympic gold medalist to their stable at lightweight so it all really kind of depends but if he defends his titles and, and has um, you know all four belts going into his next negotiation that with that comes uh, a lot of uh, a lot of marketability, a lot of negotiating, bargaining power, and, and regardless, if he re if he decides to re up with ESPN and Top Rank, if he goes to BBC, if he goes to Matchroom, uh, provided he defends his titles tomorrow night, uh, he'll have a, a lot of negotiating power and a lot more leverage than he you know had say today or even yesterday when it comes to that leverage and being a star i also think that shakir stevenson also has this problem where their guys they're technically sound i like to watch them box but they just haven't gotten that star power let's say that tank davis has what is it about tank that gives him that star appeal i know i mean he's got that line in the little baby song i'm a heavy hitter like javante davis (laughs) what does he have that they don't yeah that's i mean he's just you you don't know what i mean i think you well you generally know what you're going to get when you watch Gervonta Davis fight, that's a spectacular knockout, but you never know when it's coming. And I think that element of unpredictability and just kind of his fighting style uh, has, has helped, certainly helped his drawing power. And then I don't think it hurts to have Floyd Mayweather you know, behind him. Early in his career, Floyd Mayweather co-signing Gervonta Davis was massive for just him building his brand and being able to develop uh, a core fan base. That, of course, has expanded with, as he's improved and as he's fought bigger and better competition. And then when you have a fight against Ryan Garcia, who, of course, brings – a huge fan base in his own right, and that kind of performance 
it just elevated Javante Davis into a whole other echelon. So, you know, Devin Haney, uh, I mean, right, the, the way to get there is to defend the titles and then go beat Tank. That would be the blueprint for Devin Haney to become the biggest star, certainly in this era of boxing. Uh, if he defends his title Saturday night, he'll have that flexibility. And certainly I think that would be a fight Javante Davis and PBC would be interested in as well. A, a fantastic matchup uh, of contrasting styles. And, and, you know, again, all four belts versus boxing's biggest star. So that's, I, I would say, what he has. And, you know, Mark Ryan Garcia as well has that, that kind of marketability. But being with ESPN for Devin Haney has been massive. He was fighting on the zone before. Uh, not a ton going on there as it pertains to his career at that time. Hence the move. Hence the promotion on ESPN where he's become much more of a household name. Again, bodes well either way, however this goes tomorrow night for his future and for his future negotiations. Sam Gordon is our guest from the RJ, the Review Journal here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness talking all things Haney and Loma. And let me, uh, we only got a couple more questions for you. As far as Haney and his legacy, and I'm not a huge legacy guy, but he wins this fight tomorrow against Loma, who at one point was one of the greatest uh, out there, as you mentioned before. What, what, what would that say for, for who Haney is as a boxer right now? Yeah, I think I think you. I think it would firmly establish them in the top ten of you know the mythical pound for pound list, right? Everybody kind of has their own mm-hmm. you know way they rank it and own way they measure it. But Lomachenko was at the top of that list for quite some time, and, and still, look, regardless of what he's done in the last couple of years, we understand the pedigree he has. We understand the skill and technique he brings in the ring. It's a massive, massive step up for anybody from anybody that he's fought. So I think a win would definitely stamp him as one of the ten best boxers pound for pound. Uh, in the world today, and it would just be a, a launching point to all these other opportunities um, that, that we've kind of talked about. The, 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 being able to, to have the control he's had, uh, the control over his career that he's had, that he's developed. I mean, he, was, he has his own promotional company. He's been his own promoter in a way or his own co-promoter for several years, and he's really positioned himself nicely to capitalize on his prime years as he begins to enter his prime. A win over Lomachenko would solidify him, yeah, as, as – one of the fa- one of the faces of the sport, one of the you know the future, future present and future, I think cash cows because that's what he can become depending on his next move. And of course, all starts with beating Vasily Lomachenko uh, tomorrow night, and that's not going to be an easy task by any means. When it comes to pay per view, one of the things that I feel like boxing is lacking in is that they don't promote the undercard enough. I know that you're tapped mm-hmm. in those fights that are going to be happening, but for the big main event, let us know what we can expect there. Yeah, I think all things considered, DeMond, it's a, it's a rock-solid undercard, which we don't normally get these days because of the price it costs to put on a, a pay-per-view and usually what proceeds are going to main event fighters. But look, it's a credit to top rank uh, for, for putting together a really good card top to bottom. And the co-feature, you got former two-division champion Oscar Valdez uh, making his return. First time since last Mar- uh, April when he lost here to, to unified champion, uh, uni- then unified lightweight, uh, junior lightweight champion Shakur Stevenson. He's back in the co-feature against Adam Lopez. He takes care of business. That sets him up to fight Emmanuel Navarrete for the 130-pound uh, WBO title. Uh, you have uh, local Nico Ali Walsh on the card. Mm-hmm. He had a vicious knockout uh, the last time he fought here last year on that exact same Shakur Stevenson, Oscar Valdez card. Uh, he'll be on the undercard. You have a, a, a title fight, right, with uh, Andrew Maloney and um, Junto Nakatani for the for 115. Uh, the vacant WBO title at 115 pounds. So you have a title fight on the undercard. And then Emiliano Vargas, another local, the son of Fernando Vargas. He is a potential rising star at 135 pounds. Uh, just de- debuted as a professional last year, so he's get- gathering experience. He's on the card as well. So there's, a, there's plenty of interesting fights on this card, and, of course, an excellent main event. Uh, it's deep top to bottom. There's intrigue, there's storylines, and it should make for a fun night 
uh, at MGM Grand Garden Arena. Sam, we'll close out on this. You mentioned the other day that uh, Devin Haney wants to uh, fight at Chase Arena up in the Bay Area where the Warriors play. Uh, what what would be the ultimate place for him to, pl- uh, to, to fight, put on a, a showcase even here in Las Vegas outside of, obviously, the Chase Center back in uh, the Bay? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that, you know, a homecoming fight, I think, would be a, a dream for him. Um, you know, like you mentioned, that's, he told me he wants to fight there someday. And if you have the keys to, if he defends his titles today or tomorrow and, and has the flexibility, right, to, to choose his next promoter in his next situation, look, that's, that's definitely, uh, I think, a possibility, not unrealistic uh, at, at all. We know Top Rank has historically worked to build fighters in their hometowns. That's what they're doing with Shakur Stevenson. He fights, you know, he's fought his last few times out of Newark. So it wouldn't shock me if, if, they, if they made that happen, if he decided to re-up. But Vegas, of course, um, he's fought here you know, several times. It would be big. And then I think Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia as well, Q. Mm, okay. um, Devin, Haney is a devout, Devin Haney is a devout Muslim. Uh, he visited Saudi Arabia in, in February. He did his pilgrimage to Mecca. And that's where he originally wanted this fight against Vasily Lomachenko to be. So we're seeing Saudi Arabia get more and more involved in boxing and with his faith and, and, and his, um, you know, what he believes in. That... That could be a possibility as well. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It's all contingent upon what happens tomorrow night. A great fight, great matchup, uh, and lots to look forward to here in Las Vegas. There's no doubt about it. Well, great coverage, Sam, as always, my man. What are you working on that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be out. Um, I'm going to be out at the fight tomorrow, and then I will have a follow-up column sa- uh, Sunday from Monday's paper, just kind of assessing where everything is at with the lightweight division, what we learned, and what could happen depending on who wins on Saturday night. So super excited. Uh, for the fight. Really appreciate you guys having me and hope you, you guys enjoy it tomorrow night as well. There's no doubt about it. Enjoy the fight, my man. Appreciate the coverage. We'll talk soon. Okay, thanks, guys. Talk uh, later. Have uh, a great weekend. You too, brother. There you go. Sam Gordon does a fantastic job for the RJ on Twitter at by Sam Gordon. Uh, definitely appreciate him. Double dipping, man. He joined us on Monday to talk about DJ Thomas, uh, the, the recruit out of uh, Liberty that's, that decided to stay home and play for UNLV, and there's a good chance he may even play in the fall. So that's a big one. And then obviously the fight coming up tomorrow night is going to be big as well. Haney, Loma, and it's Las Vegas action. You know it doesn't get any better than that. 419 is the time. We'll come back, get to your calls, get to your texts. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Denver's going to win game number two. There's the horn. Denver takes a commanding two games to nothing lead. Let's be honest. That was a national narrative was, hey, the Lakers are fine. They're down 1-0, but they figured something out. The narrative wasn't about the Nuggets. The narrative wasn't about Nikola. The narrative was about the Lakers and their adjustments. So, you know, you put that in your pipe, you smoke it, and you come back, and you know what? We're going to go up 2-0. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Let's go, Coach Malone. I was okay with that. He was a little fired up after the Nuggets' victory, put him up 2-0 in the series versus the Lakers. And you know what? I'm guilty of it. I talked about that week, that uh, game one, and said, you know what? I think the Lakers figured something out. Thought that the Lakers and Laker fans should be excited about the opportunity going into game two. I wasn't talking about the fantastic performance that the Joker put in. And the reason I wasn't is because that's what I expect, (laughs) right? At this point, if you don't expect the Joker to put in that performance, then something's wrong with you. The real thing that we should have been talking about, and this is my fault as well, what we should have been talking about after game one was not only just the Lakers and the way they stormed back. One, that's on Denver for allowing them to storm, storm back. We should have been talking about Jamal freaking Murray. That's what we should have been talking about. Because Jamal Murray was hitting shots, and really in game one, the Nuggets were all hitting shots. I was like, DeMond, there's no way. There's no way these guys can keep hitting these shots like this. It was like one second left on the clock, just throw it up. 
I mean, how many times did LeBron look at him like, come on, dude? Anthony Davis looked at it, at at, uh, at at the Joker a couple times and was like, really? That just went in? And at some point, there's nothing you can do. Like, when we see it in football sometimes, a quarterback will just throw the ball up and a wide receiver just go up and make a better play. And the DB's like, are you serious? That just happened? How in the hell did that happen? I remember there was one time, one time that I was going for an interception. It was so funny. The ball, like, I saw it coming to me. And in my mind, I'm like, pick six, baby. I know where this one's going. It's going straight to the house. So I go to take off and go and meet the ball in the air like you're supposed to. You can't wait for it to come to you. Picture perfect. Yeah, you got to take off and go meet it in the air. Go get it. I went to go grab that thing, and they went up, and I still don't know who it is, but they went up a little bit higher and grabbed that thing and took off the other way. And all I could think was, how did that just happen? <laughs> how did in my mind, I was already celebrating in the end zone. Everyone was going to tell me how great that was. You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking, I already know what the end result is. And it just didn't shake out that way. And uh, it was a nice completion the other way. And they got some yards after the catch. And I was like, yeah. All right. I, I, I took off to get to the fifth floor. And, well, that wide receiver took off and got to the seventh floor and left me around the third floor. <laughs> so it was, not, it was not the business. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes – you look at the Denver Nuggets and the shots that they are dropping in, it's like, how is that even happening? And then Jamal Murray has a bad game in game two until he doesn't. Until all of a sudden the fourth quarter, then it's like incredible. He's out there just on fire. He's looking over at Mike Breen. Bang! I mean, he's he's doing all that. The dude is is incredible. And you think about him coming off a torn ACL and the fact that the Nuggets really took their time letting him come back. And I remember thinking last year, like, I think at this point, Jamal Murray could probably be playing. But they said, no, he's more valuable. Let's go ahead and let him sit, let him sit, let him sit. And then you see the results this year, especially right now in the playoffs, what's going on with them. So I got to give a lot of credit to Jamal Murray. I'm interested, and we'll talk to Mo Kill in a hot minute, DeMond's effort in him right now. I'm interested to see, is his game going to carry over to L.A.? Is what he's been doing, you don't expect it to be at the same level. There's something to be said about playing at home. I'm just interested to see what Jamal Murray looks like in game three in L.A. What do the role players look like in game three in L.A.? And can LeBron James bounce back and not look like 38-year-old banged up, injured LeBron James in game three? Because they're going to need him in a major, major way. So Moda Kill from Bleacher Report, the Athletic NBA podcast as well, will join us in a matter of seconds here on Raider Nation Radio 920, talk about the NBA playoffs, and we're getting down to the wire now. Miami's up 1-0 on Boston. Celtics are nine-point favorites in tonight's game. I'm really shocked by that. And then, of course, the Lakers are down 0-2, and they need to find find a way to get a W when it comes to Game 3, and we'll see that this upcoming weekend. So uh, you can chime in anytime. If you got a question for the guests that we have, 69187, keyword R&R. It's always wide open like some old school TV antennas. That's the DLC, the don'tbebroke.com text line. Join us now, now on the phone lines is our good friend, Mo DeKeel, uh, the Athletic NBA Podcast. Bleacher Report does a lot of great work, covers the NBA like a glove. And Mo, thanks so much for your time. And I was just talking about the Lakers and the Nuggets, and I felt like the Lakers let an opportunity get by them and uh, tying up the series last night at 1, and now they're sitting there 0-2. And I don't think that the story is the Joker. I think the story is Jamal Murray and how fantastic he's been. Uh, man, how, how big has the play of Jamal Murray been for the Denver Nuggets, in your opinion? I mean, he dropped 23 in the fourth quarter. It doesn't get bigger than that. <laughs> right. I think, I think, and, and the more amazing part was he was awful 
for the first three quarters of that game. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a uh, the Nuggets got back in this game in the third quarter, and it really started when they put Murray on the bench because he was going to shoot them out of that game. I was literally watching the game on on a, a live stream, and had said. Murray's going to cost them this game. Like, this is going to be a disaster. And then in the fourth quarter, I don't know what it is, but that young man kept going, man, and he just started drilling shots after shots. And then it got to the point where I just started laughing. I said, this is a joke. Mm -hmm. This guy's going completely ballistic. He's been huge for them. And the Lakers just don't have anybody that could really stick with him and guard him. And I think that's a big problem for them going up forward in this series. How much of what Jamal Murray has been able to do right now, how much is that going to be able to carry over to game three when they're back in L.A.? I mean, I, I don't see a reason for it not to carry over okay. in that sense. This is who Jamal Murray has been. Right. You know, we, we talk about the bubble Murray, but bubble Murray, Jamal Murray was shooting it really well before the bubble. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of tend to forget about that and, and, and what he could do in that sense. And I think this is just who he is. And the past year, he's been trying to get healthy and get right and things like that. He's now fully healthy, looks right, and fully confident. And I think this is, this is just who he is. So there's no reason to think he can't recreate that. When he when they get to L.A., Denver's up two zero right now. So we all know that the, this game three is going to be a must win for the L.A. Lakers. LeBron James at the end of that game last night just did not look like the LeBron James we're used to seeing. How much of that was altitude? How much of that was age? How much of that was the ankle? What what do you what do you assess that uh, that play at the end of the game for LeBron? Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, I think it's both the altitude and and age. He's thirty eight. Right. Well, we, when, you know, you're leading up to the question, but like the LeBron, we're not used to seeing. I'm like, yeah, well, he's, well, he's old. <laughs> you know, I hate to be the Dylan Brooks of this, but he's kind of old. Um, and it's impressive everything that he's done so far. But I felt like that, and then the altitude got to him a little bit. But ultimately, he's got to make better decisions. He was unbelievable when he was attacking the paint. And I think that was something he needed to st- stay with. Instead, he jacked up three shots from three in the fourth quarter that were just terrible, I'm tired, I don't want to try threes, and hope they go in. And those are the worst kinds of threes to go, that you shoot because they rarely go in. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the big issue for him and, and the Lakers in that game. But I think just the shot selection at the end of that game, starting from LeBron, you know, is, is really what hurt them. And, you know, I was talking about Murray, might, you know, was going to shoot the Nuggets out of that game the first three quarters. Well, the Lakers, for the Lakers, LeBron James shot him out of that game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Again, we're talking all things NBA playoffs right now with Mo DeKeel here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Necessary Roughness, DeMond's got one for you. Obviously, LeBron didn't have his best game last night, but <laughs> Anthony Davis and D'Angelo Russell, what can the Lakers do to get those two guys going? Because with the addition of D'Angelo Russell, why don't they at least have a, a good pick-and-roll package going? Both of those guys are underperforming in this series. Well, I think, one, Anthony Davis, it's, it's been this way the whole playoffs. One good game, one bad game. He had a bad game, too. Bet on him in game three. He had a really good game one, so he's kind of keeping sticking to that kind of uh, system right there. Russell is just entirely inconsistent, and I think that's just uh, uh, the biggest problem with him. I know a lot of people are saying they should bench him. I think the problem with that is there's a possibility Russell could start game three and hit the first four threes mm-hmm. that, that he takes, and, and he, he won't be bashful. He won't be shy about shooting it, and at that point, that's a big boost with that. The pick-and-roll chemistry with those guys – Look, the Nuggets got a ton of good defenders on that team. You know, besides Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, Jokic is better defensively than we give him a ton of credit for, although I think he's a little bit weak in the pick and roll. They have a lot of other guys that can help between Aaron Gordon, KCP, uh, Michael Porter Jr., all in the starting lineup, are all 
good defenders, and I'm shocked that I said Michael Porter Jr. But right, me to too. Quite, <laughs> quite the defender, though, right? Like, it's impressive yep. what he's done and how he's kind of improved on that end. But I think all of that makes it really difficult for the Lakers to run an AD uh, D'Angelo Russell pick and roll. How big has this been, though, for Michael Porter Jr.? I mean, again, this is a guy that was injured coming out of college, and it seems like that's been the story of his career is injury after injury after injury. But it looks like he's been coming up big offensively and, as you pointed out, defensively as well. I mean, this whole season has been phenomenal for him. Mm-hmm. Think back to the bubble when the Lakers beat them. Do you remember the quotes he would give after the game? I need to get more shots. I need to get more touches. I need this. I need that. There's none of that now. The kid has matured. He's developing into a – forget just how well he, how good he is offensively because I think we always saw that. He is actually competing hard defensively, and I think that's a big, big improvement from where we were a few years ago because I never thought I'd see this. You know, and I've, I'm impressed with it. And then it gives the Nuggets another score on the court that's not going to hurt them defensively because it gets really hard. If he was a poor defender, it'd be hard to play him and Jamal Murray in the starting lineup because now it's two and a half weak defenders on that team. And that's a lot of places for the Lakers to target or any playoff team for that matter. And I think, you know, him making those improvements has really helped take this team to the next level. When it comes to how the Lakers defend Jokic, uh, it was the Rui Hachimura, oh, this is the secret key. But when you watch the film and you break it down, is was it just a couple of good possessions or do the Lakers actually have something there? I think the Lakers thought they had something there. I think in game two, not so much. But I think the, the, the move, really, the guy who guarded Jokic the best wasn't Rui, but was LeBron in this game. And part of that, that also led to the fatigue that he ended up having in the second game, in the second half of game two, but I think the the Lakers th- thought they stumbled upon something, and I think some of it was Jokic was really tired at the end of game one. He had played forty plus minutes in that game. He was beginning to feel the fatigue and was carrying that team for so long. I felt like you could see that that area being tired, and then I think having AD kind of float as the free safety was also another reason why Rui was was so effective on Jokic because. He had to watch for two guys, not just the guy guarding him at that moment. And I think the Lakers kind of fell a little bit into that pool's goal. Moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals, the Celtics and the Heat. And your one more thing that you posted on Twitter a couple of days ago, you mentioned how the Celtics, they kept leaving on that strong side corner, and that was opening up those threes that the Heat were able to get. Is that something that Joe Mazzula needs to correct, or is that just on the players to not get sucked in in the Jimmy Butler vortex? Well, I think that's something Joe Mazzulla needs to drill down upon. My biggest concern is that wasn't just a one-game problem. We had seen that throughout the entire playoffs. So I'm wondering if that's part of their defensive game plan or, or their defensive strategy is to kind of show off of the strong side corner. Because if that's the case, that's going to really kill them in, in, in this series. Because Jimmy, on a lot of those plays that I posted in my One More Thing video, he was stuck. He had nowhere to go. And then somebody gave him a lifeline by coming over to him and creating a passing outlet to another guy. And I think that's a big thing, big concern there. I think Missoula has to drill down on that. I think some of the players might just be freelancing and go on their own. But I think this is something you have to just stay disciplined. When Jimmy drives into the lane, don't help off the shooters. Let's not give this team, let's not give Jimmy lifelines and passing outs when he over dribbles and over penetrates. Talking all things NBA playoffs right now with Mo DeKeel here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. So sticking with Miami and Boston, I hate to say that a game two is a must win, but coming off that game one loss by Boston, uh, how big is this game this evening? 
I mean, this could be the series, to be honest. Mm. I mean, this could be the deciding whether this is going to be a long series or a short series. Because I'll tell you right now, if Miami goes back home up 2-0, I'm not saying this is going to be a sweep or anything, but that puts a ton of pressure on Boston. And I don't think this Boston team really delivers under pressure. I know that's silly. They just won a massive Game 7. But that was mentally weak versus mentally weak Mm -hmm. when it was the Sixers versus the Celtics. I think this Miami team is tougher. I think this Miami team less talented, but knows who they are. And it's, I'm going to quote the, uh, the, the uh, Batman movie and quote Bane. You know, listen, the Heat were born in this darkness. They love this. They, I mean, this is a team that could go down 0-3, and I think like they might have the possibility of coming back and winning a series and be the first to do it because they're insane like that. I think this is the series right there. And if you're the Celtics, you have to play like that. You cannot lose two home games the first two home games of the conference finals and think you're going to have a chance because then you got to win four out of the next six. Right, no that's doubt. brutal right there. And, that's, and, that's, and, and, and three of those games are in Miami. I don't know if that's something that you would be able to do. This is going to decide if this is going to be a short series or a long series. Jason Tatum didn't knock down any field goals in the fourth quarter of that game one. He went to the free throw line, though, multiple times. So, I mean, he was attempting shots. It was just he was getting fouled. So what do you think the mindset is? What do you think the approach is for Tatum as he uh, starts the game tonight? I think Tatum's going to be ultra-aggressive. I think we're going to kind of see, and hopefully for Boston fans, we're going to see Game 7 Tatum where he comes out aggressive and wants to attack, 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 and attack relentlessly. I think if he looks to do that, they're going to be in good position. But he's got to be, make smart decisions. It wasn't just that he didn't take any shots in the, in the fourth quarter. It was that he had three terrible turnovers mm-hmm. in those opportunities. And I think that hurt them a ton, obviously, because turnovers hurt everybody. But that was just that took away possessions from them when they needed buckets and they were trying to get back into that game. So I think it's along those lines of Tatum needs to be smart with the ball. He needs to be aggressive, but at the same time, he can't be too aggressive and actually hurt his team in the process. Mo, if you're going to go Bane, you got to go for it. You adopted the deck. I was born in it. You got to go all out if you're going to quote the Bane. But when it comes... I was going to, but you know, you know, honestly, I lost my voice last week, and I'm only just now getting it back. So I'm like, I'm not testing my voice that way. <laughs> all right. But back to this series. Q said the other day, he was like, Damon, I feel like you've got a personal grudge. You hate Joe Mazzula. He does. But he it's, can't the, stand it's answers. It's the way he talks to the media. I've got to protect our media brethren out oh, here geez. where he says, we won three out of the four quarters. We've won three out of the four quarters. We don't need to fix anything. Have you ever been? You've been around NBA locker rooms. Have you heard a coach say, "Hey, but we won three out of the four quarters coming after a loss"? I mean, I, no, but we've. I've also seen, but that's also a coach that's super defensive, super young, and not used to talking to the media. And I think the the retort is obviously, "Yeah, but that one quarter you lost, man, you lost by a lot." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a massive. That's the difference right there. And I think the. My concerns about Joe Mazzulla kind of constantly going back at the media. This isn't the first time. He, uh, after his game two win against the, uh, the, the Sixers, he made a comment of like, well, how's that for adjustments? He said, well, you won by 20. We didn't get to see you actually coach the game. I think the, the Mazzulla needs to really kind of pull back here. He's playing too defensive in, this, in, in these opportunities. He's in a bit over his head is what it looks like with the comments that he makes. And I'm watching that going like, he might be a good coach down the road. He's not a good coach now, and that's fine. 
because it takes a while. You got to develop mm-hmm. that voice. But right now, the Celtics need a good coach, and that's not him at this moment. And remember that when Eric Spolstra was losing and lost to uh, you know with the with the Heatles right to Dallas, everyone wanted to run Eric Spolstra out of town. And Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches in the league right now. So there's there's hope for him. He's just in my, in my opinion, Mo, he's just young and still learning. Yeah, and I think the important thing about that Spolstra thing after Spolster lost in the playoffs that first season, he recognized to himself. He had the, the, the foresight, which is something I'll be curious to see if Missoula does, he, to, to look inward and go, how do I have to get better? And that's when Spolster realized, man, I just got to be tougher. Mm-hmm. I just got to be tough. I'm, I'm not tough enough. I, and, 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 you know, we, we can debate whether it's, he's too tough at times or, or even a psycho in his own right. But I think that has led them to him becoming the best coach in the NBA because of that attitude and that mentality. It'll be a big question whether Joe Mazzulla can kind of take stock of himself. And that's a hard thing for anybody to do. Trust me, I struggle with it all the time. And, I, and, and if he's able to do it, that will help him going forward as a coach. And Mike Malone, he mentioned after after the game, hey, the narrative was, hey, what the Lakers need to do, and the people weren't talking enough about what the Denver Nuggets did. And I don't want to make that same mistake with Miami. And not make it just, hey, Tatum needs to get right and Jalen Brown needs to get it together. What are the Miami Heat doing well that led them to that game one victory and what they can keep doing going forward? Well, one, I think they just have a good understanding of where the ball needs to go on offense. When to, one to go ISO, one to attack, one to cut. I think they have a good feel for each other. This is a team with that, a lot of continuity. I mean, just remember, they took this team to Game 7 last year in the conference finals. So they kind of have an idea of, of who they are in that sense. I think they're defending really well. They got a monster game from Bam being very aggressive. And, 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 and the numbers don't show up, but him just being aggressive goes a long way for them. And then they got all their role players stepped up which will be interesting to see if they can replicate that. But you got 15 points from Struess, 15 points from Gabe Vincent. You got 15 points um, from Caleb Martin, and then 15 points from Kyle Lowry. 60 points right there between those four guys, mm-hmm. they're going to win each game if they get that again. And that's difficult to, to replicate. But if they're able to pull that kind of stuff off, they're going to they're gonna win this series, I think, a lot easier than people realize. Mo, we'll get you out on this. There's a handful of jobs that are open right now in the NBA. The Sixers, the Suns, the Raptors, and uh, the Bucks are open right now. As far as the Sixers and the Suns go, who do you think would be good, good, uh, good coaches for those two landing spots? Well, for the Suns, it's difficult because I don't even know what that roster looks like. We know they have two pieces, and that's about it. And then they have to figure out everything else that comes to it. So I think they just, they just need somebody that's going to think outside the box. And I think that's an important thing for the Suns. Is somebody that's going to be creative and, and, and play with the guys, on, especially on the offensive end. You're going to have two brilliant offensive players in Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. You can't just sit there and say, all right, let's just have those guys play in isolation. I'll just focus on defense. They're going to need a good offensive-minded coach in that regard. The Sixers is a little bit trickier because you have all the pieces. That team had enough to win the championship. And I think they – they need to kind of have toughness. Unfortunately for them, the perfect guy for this team would have been Ime Udoka, but he took the Houston job mm-hmm. before, uh, before this even became open in that opportunity. From there, I would kind of look, I would almost wonder if maybe even a Mike Budenholzer would be a guy to look at in that situation if I were the Sixers to say, like, hey, maybe this is a guy we should look at and take a run at. I'm not sure who really kind of fits the criteria, but I know one name should not, get the job at all, and that's Mike D'Antoni. 
If you do that, you're signaling to Joel Embiid, this is James Harden's team, and they're doing everything to try to cater to James Harden. It's already James Harden's team president in Daryl Morey, and now we're going to hire James Harden's coach. I wouldn't be surprised if that turns around and and, and makes Embiid go like, i got to get out of here. Right, and I was about to ask you, do you think that James Harden is uh, on his way to Houston, but it sounds like you think he's going to stay in Philly? Well, it depends who they hire, right? If they, right. Stay, if they hire his coach or who he would want as a coach, I think that's going to uh, make the case there for Embiid to want to leave and, and Harden stay. But I actually kind of think Harden, everything, there's too much noise out there to think this is not in the works. And there was a recent report um, uh, from uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer, I think it was Keith Pompey who wrote it, saying like the Houston Rockets, when they are doing their coaching search, were asking candidates how they felt about coaching James Harden. Clearly, they might know something or feel like there's a legitimate possibility that they can bring James Harden back. And if that's the case, I think the door is definitely open. I think it's a 50-50 chance right now. Well, I'll tell you right now, if James Harden goes back to Houston, all the clubs will be celebrating. Woo! James is back in town! Oh, buddy. buddy. They're going to be looking around. Ain't no recession here. We are good. (laughs) I know that's right. That's exactly how it's going to shake out. Well, Mo, fantastic stuff as always. I'm assuming you'll be out here in town for Summer League. When that comes around, it's right around the corner. Um, I will be. I will be. I don't know how long I... I, I like Vegas, but it's dangerous for me. i got to be careful. <laughs> I know. Hey, again, I know that's right. Well, what are you working on that we should be on the lookout for? I'm just going to keep trying to pump out more One Mo things. Um, you can watch the games with me and my colleague Seth Part now on playback.tv slash Nerder. Nice. Uh, we're watching these games and, and, and commenting on the games live. So come join us on, on these playback streams, and from there, You'll, you'll see all my other work. I like it. I like it. Well, great stuff, my man. Thanks for giving us some time this afternoon. We appreciate you. Enjoy the games and enjoy your weekend. You too, guys. All right, there he goes. Mo kill. Great stuff right there. Uh, Bleacher Report, the Athletic NBA podcast. He's uh, live streaming the games and commenting on the games at the same time. That's awesome. That really is cool. I might have to check that out a little something, something a little bit later on before I continue to do a little radio-type stuff uh, this evening on ESPN. 449 is the time. Many thanks to Mo. We'll take a quick break, come back, close out the show for today and for the week. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. There's so much that's going on in and around the Las Vegas area. Of course, the big fight's going down tomorrow night. We had Sam Gordon on earlier from the RJ talking about Haney and Loma. And all of a sudden, Demond, we saw on Sam's Twitter, he's at the weigh-ins. Haney's already fired up. He's amped up. How would you grade that push? Haney pushing Loma right there in the chest at the official, well, at the weigh-ins, the the ceremonial weigh-ins. Oh, that's a definitely, that's like an 8 out of 10 on the push. Okay. When it comes to the the force that he generated, the flyback that Lomachenko had, he he pushed him because sometimes you're like, oh, he ain't even try to do nothing. Right? Nah, nah. Yeah, yeah, he pushed the blank out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Haney, Haney's ready. Haney is ready. Also coming up tomorrow, uh, the Aces get their season underway. They're the defending champions. Of course, you can hear all their home games and some of their away games as well on our sister station ESPN Las Vegas. Speaking of that, our guy Ari is actually going to be out at Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, right out there by the Galleria Mall, right there on. Uh, what mall circle and that uh that game starts at noon tips off at noon tomorrow against seattle so he's going to be out there with some prizes with our sister station espn las vegas so make sure you check that out what else is going on this weekend demond we've got so much going on the aviators are coming up in about what 30 something minutes here on radio nation radio 920 i believe espn i'm excuse me not espn nba playoffs are still going to be continued i mean even later tonight yeah i mean so there's so much to watch 
this weekend. I don't know if you were up. I know you're not the biggest hockey guy, but I oh, no, stayed. I was watching you that. You were watching the hey, game. Man, uh, Panthers. Serious? I'd be a fool not to, man. Oh, man. Was it quadruple overtime, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Plus, uh, on our show, Locked on Bets, we actually had a, a play on that on one of the uh, one of the Panthers to have a certain amount of shots. Was and, it Kachuk? Uh, I bet you had the game-winning goal. No, no, no. Okay. It, was, it was certain shots on goal, and um, uh, I want to say it was for Hagee. For Hagee. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, he had. Conor Hagee. Yeah, it was four and a half. Uh, it was an over. We went on the over of uh, four and a half, and he ended up with six. So we we won on that one. We actually had a three and no day on locked on bets. I'm just saying, Ooh, just just bragging. A I dozed bit. off how long that game was. I dozed off after the uh, Nuggets Laker game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know you wake up. Right. That game's still going on. <laughs> right. Exactly. That was the funniest thing is seeing everyone just saying, "Wow, it's still going. It's still going." And uh, you know, it was just it's it's just what it was, man. So uh, there's been a lot of good sports, man. And NHL playoffs. I'm not the, I'm not gonna ever try to blow smoke up anyone's backside and act like I'm the biggest NHL fan. But when it comes to the playoffs, it's a different ball game. And with Vegas being in it, oh yeah, duh. How do I? How did That's we, tonight as I well. To say, how do we forget that? The biggest That's thing going, going on this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Game That's one tonight, going, man. I'm. Almost dumb. Yeah, that's going on this evening as well against Dallas. That's going to be a really good series. I'm excited about that for the opportunity to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. Like, come on, man. I mean, there's everything you can imagine is going on tonight. Uh, definitely got a shout-out to Dr. Jen. She went, or I went and got my back right earlier. Saw Dr. Jen. I was like three minutes late. I was three minutes late to see Dr. Jen and get my back right. Did she give you those extra three minutes, though? <laughs> yeah, well, Dr. There Jen's we go. got there my back. Go. She took care Dr. of Dr. Jen's got my back, but I'm telling you, my point is, Oh, that that music festival's going on this weekend too. Um, out there at the racetrack. EDC. Yeah, that's be safe, like, man. I'm telling you, it took me longer to get to work and get out to here because the traffic was so thick. That's why I was three minutes late to go to see Dr. Jen. So, excuses, excuses, my bad. But anyway, man, be safe out there wherever you're at. If you're in the Las Vegas area, if you're somewhere else, just be safe out in the streets. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy all the sports. Of course, we'll be back on Monday. Wake up with the morning tailgate, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Right here, Clay, Vinny, and Lindsay. On Radio Nation Radio 920. Have a fantastic weekend.